0: Good morning, and my name is Matt. Uh, I'm youth pastor. Uh, here at Harvest Community Church. And if you're visiting this morning, we're so glad to have you here, or if this is just your second week with us. Glad to have you here. Um, as we were singing that last song, um, Peace So Unexplainable, I Can Hardly Think. I'm like, man, that sounds really nice. Right about now, some, ple- some peace unexplainable is what I need, but I probably should be able to think in the process. But maybe the Lord's going to answer my prayer. And if I start seeming like really weird all of a sudden, it's because it's, I can hardly think right now. Um, but contrary to popular belief, I actually am on staff. Um, there were some rumors going around last week after uh, Greg's sermon, because uh, he opened up talking about each staff member's biblical meaning of their name, right? And he was going through everybody, and I'm waiting. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be great. Like, okay, so there, there, there's Gary. Oh, there's Greg's own name. That makes sense. There's, there's Andrew. Yeah, he's been on staff a couple months. Um, Laughter and, uh, and then there's Patty and Sherry and Alyssa. And it was like Greg pretty much just went, and that's everyone. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, man, like best man in my wedding. Okay, dude, I see how it is. Um, so I was like thinking about it. I was like, maybe he just forgot, right? Like maybe, maybe it just like went over his head. I was like, no, Greg never forgets anything. Just ask Lindsay. Um, <laughs> but... So as I was looking into it more, I was like, well, I should just look up the meaning of my name, and, and Matthew means gift from Yahweh, so I think Greg was getting a little name envy and just like let my name like just slide on past there, because I don't remember exactly what his name biblically meant. It was something like one who plants trees filled with geese or something like that. <laughs> not exactly sure. Uh, something along those lines. But um, all that to say, last week we got to hear God's own personal name, Yahweh, and God reveals that to Moses as we've been going through this story in Exodus, in Exodus 34. Um, and we can actually, ha, ha ha don't point to that one, um, we can pull that up, um, God revealing his own name. If you want to actually turn to Exodus 34, that is where we're going to be this morning as well. But God reveals his name both to Moses, but then also to his people. And he says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And it's beautiful that God shares what his name means with his people at such a critical point. Um, the week before, I, I believe, or, or maybe it was even two weeks before that, we read through how, how God's people decide to enter this covenant, this relational covenant, covenant this, this relational commitment with God. And they enter in, and, and not, not unlike a honeymoon, um, like one, one night being like, oh man, we, we're finally joined together, like we have entered this covenant together. Um, it's like the people enter that with God, and then the next day they cheat on him, right? The next day they turn their back on this God. They turn their back on this covenant that they have entered with God and break the covenant. But God because he is is gracious, filled with compassion and mercy and steadfast love, God decides to reveal his name to his people, knowing, uh, for them to know, I'm still going to continue to love you as you turn back to me. Like, I'm not going to let the guilty go unpunished. Those those who, who do not turn from their ways and turn from their sin, they will not go unpunished. But those who turn back to me, And enter this covenant, I will be gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And now, Moses, in where we're going to be reading this morning, has gone back up the mountain because God has said, I will still enter this covenant. With you and Moses had originally broken um, the two tablets uh, of the covenant on the ground when he saw the people in their sin worshiping the golden idol, um, but now God is going to renew, make new uh, um, this covenant with His people, and that's where we dive in this morning, Exodus 20, or thirty four, starting at verse twenty seven. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant, because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, I want to come before you humbly uh, this morning. Lord, just as as I was in this passage this week, God, just in all the different ways uh, you convicted me of how I approach you. And God, I pray that we would not come in as a church this morning with hard hearts. A people that, that, as Greg talked about last week, just want to be cavalier, want to be laid back with our God. And yet, even to do that, Lord, we need your help by your Holy Spirit to soften us reveal to us where we hold back from you, where we try to see you through a veil. So Holy Spirit, would you teach us, would you use my words, Lord, Um, and and God, I pray that it would be an offering that's glorifying to who you are, but I know it will only be that way if you make it so. So God, would we magnify you this morning, would we make you great in, in our eyes and in our hearts because it's where you belong where you truly, truly belong. Thank you, Lord, for being with us this morning. In your name, amen. So are there are people in your life, um, if you've been following Jesus for a little while, or maybe, maybe you're, you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, but are there are people that you've seen where it's just so clear, like, man, that person has been with the Lord. Like, that person has relationship with God. It just, like, pours out of them. It just exudes out of them, like how they speak to people, how they talk to you, how they pray. It's just like, man, like this person walks with the Lord. Uh, some of you may know, may know this woman, uh, Rhea Bolin. I got to know her through um, Young Life. She's our prayer like, coordinator and prayer chair. And Ria was one of those people when I was on Young Life staff. We'd meet, um, I think, twice a month to get together and, and not just pray, but to pray. Like for Ria, it's never just praying. Um, and as we, we would pray, like the first couple times, I was, I was just blown away with, for one, getting to see this lady's um, relationship just displayed before me with God like the emotion and, and, and the connection that it was clear, like she knew the Lord and she wanted the Lord to know her. And she deeply believed that as well. Um, and with Rhea, it was hard to get a word in edgewise praying too because she had so much to say to God. She would not stop praying. And the second you like, you even like, could get a breath in in between your prayers, she'd jump in because something else was on her heart that she wanted to share with the Lord. There's people like that, that that we see. It's like, man, like I, I mean, personally, I long for a relationship with God that just Seems that tangible, that real to people that I have walked with the Lord. And as the Israelites see Moses this morning, it's been very clear that this guy has been with God. Because as he's coming down the mountain, his face is shining. His face is beaming. His face is gleaming. And not because he got like a bad tanning job like while he was up on Mount Sinai, right? Not just this little like orange hue, but it's radiant, Like so much that the people are afraid of what happened to him, afraid of what went on, afraid that maybe even this is God himself coming down because the glory is too great. After Moses' time with the Lord, there is a complete physical change. There is a transformation that's taken place. Place. And the question I want us to be thinking through this morning um, as, as, as we dive into this passage, um, but also as we worship, is am I being changed? Am I being transformed by the presence of God? Am I being transformed by the pr- God's presence? In the church we often hear things like spending time with God or quiet time or devotionals and, and that's all kind of like um, this this verbiage of saying like how how to have relationship with God or how you have relationship with God. Um, and, and I think some of those things just sound pretty normal, especially if we've been in the church for a while. Those things sound like pretty routine, or oh yeah, like quiet time, or devotionals, or I know that's something that as I walk with Jesus, that should be a part of my life, spending this intentional time with God. But while that idea may not be that crazy to us, or might be pretty normal to us in some ways, the Israelites a man communing with God, relational time with the Holy God was completely mind-blowing. Let's actually look back um, into chapter 33, verse 7. It says this, Now Moses use, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent." The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. I don't know if there was this gong or if this, there was this like exclamation or how it would go down, but, but it was made known throughout the camp that, that Moses was going to go to this tent of meeting. And people, whatever they were doing, I mean, the passage makes it seem like this. They would stop. They would come outside the door of the front of their tent and they, um, they would stand there and wait and watch Moses as he got smaller into the distance to go into this tent of meeting. And as he went in and this pillar of cloud would come and enshroud the tent and fill the tent and Moses would be in there with God, they would say, holy God is meeting with man. This is unbelievable. I can't help but to worship right now. I can't help but to praise God because it was not normal for holiness and brokenness to come together in that way. It was not normal for a man to get to meet with God as one meets with a friend. It would cause people to worship. I don't know if they just break out into songs or if they just break out exclaiming with praises, but it would would evoke, it would bring out This worship that they couldn't help but exclaim how good God was for meeting with man. And as I thought about my own time with God, I'm like, man. Like if I had just grown really stagnant and and being blown away, that God would meet with me. That that holy God, just as holy as he was and is and will ever be, that that God would commune with Matt, that God, that God would commune with us both collectively here, but as I spend time with him in Scripture, as I pray with him, that he would meet with me. I wonder if times, like, as, as we think about time with the Lord, we, we might take that for granted. And, and even in, 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 like, severe circumstances in my life, that, that can even feel... Like something I've just got to try to fit in to my day. Something that actually feels like a burden. That like, oh, I know I need to spend time with God, but when am I going to do that? Like, how am I going to fit that into my schedule because I'm so busy? What, when I talk about time with God, uh, for me, kind of this is what it looks like. You get like, It's not like this really awesome thing that you guys are going to get to hear, but this is what it looks like for me, like, on a good day. Um, so usually, um, usually I like to, um, to usually spend time with the Lord um, towards the beginning of the day. I'm not a morning person. Um, the sun's really helping me right now. I'm not a morning person, um, so it is kind of tough. It's like um, lots of yawns and lots of coffee um, to get the ball rolling here. So, so it doesn't always take place in the morning. But I love setting my eyes and setting my heart on God early in the morning. Well, early for some. Um, so that, that hopefully like, I continue to cling to the things that, that are revealed in Scripture, the things that, that I'm digesting from Scripture, or even what was put on my heart in that time, so I can carry that throughout the rest of the day. I want to start my day with God. And so usually I'll, I'll just begin by praying, and ha- try to have some quiet space with a cat and a dog. That's kind of hard sometimes. Um, but uh, have some quiet space to just sit and ask for God's help to even approach His Scripture to ask the Holy Spirit to, to search me, to reveal any way in me that needs to be transformed in this time and then I'll I'll take a chunk of scripture whether it's going through read through or, or just working through a book or a topical theme or something like that and, and I'll sit in it whether it's several verses or several chapters um, and then as as I'm reading trying to commune with God in that time trying to t- have an ongoing conversation with him during um, that reading of scripture and then usually I try to journal afterwards I was never a jour- I didn't have a diary in high school like I'm not lying to you I promise I did not um, Um, that was, I did not like writing or taking notes or anything like that, but it was such a good way once I started journaling to begin to like really, really try to like put words to my relationship with the Lord. And I don't do that every time, but that's one of the ways I try to hang on and be able to look back at the ways that God's been working in my heart. Sometimes I go on prayer walks too. If you've ever seen me just walking laps around Harvest, like it's not that I think I I need to get my Fitbit steps in. I don't even have a Fitbit. Um, but I'm, I'm talking with God. I'm just laying all the things I've got in front of in in my day and I I usually try to have space where I listen to because I like to talk a lot Um, and and sometimes I'm pretty bad at listening. So those are some of the ways that I try to spend time with the Lord and that's when it's good. When I'm not in a good spot though, when I try to spend time with the Lord, um, I get really caught up in what I'm doing and not who I'm with. I look at my read-through and I see, okay, I just, I've got three chapters that I've got to bust through to then hit that little, that little check that checks it off so then I can move on to the next day and not feel bad about myself, right? Um, I, I get caught up in, in, in what I'm trying to know and not who I'm trying to know at times. Sometimes I just take information in because I want to know infor- information, but I'm not asking God to transform me through that information, um, I get caught in routine, I get caught in patterns, I get caught in going through the motions, I forget whose presence I'm in. It's like I'm hanging out with a friend, and that friend's sitting across from me, and, um, and, and he's so excited to be with me and to catch up, because it's been however long since we've seen each other, but I'm on my phone and I'm, 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 I'm caught doing something else, I'm playing a dumb game, or I'm texting somebody else, or, or I'm checking my fantasy football team, or I'm whatever dumb excuse I might have, and I wonder if that is sometimes how it feels in our time with the Lord, that as He wants to commune and meet with us, we're on our phone both literally and figuratively. We're distracted. We're not present in His presence. We're not present with a God who wants to presently be with us, to transform us, to change us from the inside out. Or, um, I mean, my job is to work in ministry. There are, there are other days where I'm like, God, like, I've, I've, I'm meeting with all these people. I'm really busy. I've got this retreat to plan for. Or, or I've got this lesson that I'm working on. Or, or the summer camp I'm working towards. Um, and, and I just don't have time today, God, to really, to really stop and be with you. I'm kind of important. I've got a lot that I need to do. I, I think you'll understand, God, like, you've got time for me later, right? And I forget that the God of the universe who made me, who knows me intimately better than any person ever could, including myself that knows what I need for that day, who is my daily bread so I make it through that day, the God who gives me breath, who gives me life in every moment, wants to meet with me and I say I'm too busy. I can't take 15, 20, 30, an hour, two hours, three hours to stop. And be with that Lord. Because I've got too much. I'm too important to the rest of the world. Kind of upside down. I've been super convicted this week. Um, Just being honest with you. I've been really convicted in how I approach the Lord. Um. There's been, as, as, I, I've, as I dove into this passage, I was like, okay, God, like, as, as I have quiet time with you, like, I really want to try and be present. I really want to recognize that you, I'm with a holy God as we're meeting and communing together. And, and I found myself still drift, right? I found myself still, like, get caught up with some stupid notification I get on my phone. I, I find myself still, like, um, check off those chapters, I find myself still thinking about all these different other things, and, and I have such a hard time just fully being present with the Lord. Part of that is a map problem, and part of that is a cultural problem, is a people problem, is a flesh problem that we all have. So if you ever struggle there, you are in good company. I don't think there's a single one of us that doesn't go through that at some point of, of, of forgetting like who we are meeting with. Moses spent 40 days up on this mountain and, and he, he gave up food and he gave up drink even to meet and commune with God. He fasted to be fully present with the Lord. And yet as he comes down the mountain, people aren't saying like, shoot, Moses is looking kind of sickly. Like, did he go up and join a gym for like 40 days or, or what's going on here? Like, what happened to Moses? No, what they're noticing, what they see is that his face is radiant They can't help but to see this man has been in the presence of God. So much so that they are afraid. And Moses totally had to sacrifice to have that time with the Lord. To have over a month's time with God. He he had to sacrifice food. He had to sacrifice um, drink in that way as well. But he also, like as I'm I'm thinking about now, right? Well, we we have jobs and we have business. This guy was heading up a people right? This people had just been taken out of slavery, and he's in charge. The Lord has put him in charge of all of them, and the last time that he left them, they worshiped a golden calf. How important did he feel to those people? Like, if I go again, what else could happen? Like, if if I leave them for even a second, they're going to make something else out of gold, right? Like, I need to stay with him, yet he lets go of that. He knows that God is ultimately in control, and the most important thing to Moses is to meet with the Lord. And as I look at my list of excuses that I could stack up for my reasons to not be with God, to dive into his word, to be present with him, to even step away for something for five minutes and just be present with God and pray and ask for his help again, my list of reasons and excuses is really lame. Really, really lame. So I'd ask us, like, if this is something that, that you find, like, is an ongoing struggle for you, and I, I hope, man, may, maybe it's just me, right? Maybe all of you are killing it out there. Um, and this sermon was solely for me, for God to convict me and shape me and change me in this. But if you struggle, too, with making time for the Lord and not just feeling like some sort of burden or, or, or that you're too busy, what keeps you from being with God? What gets in the way? Because I, as I looked at my life, I was like, well, none of this stuff. And Scripture lays it out, too. The things that we have to say no to. The things that we, that we ultimately put before God and, and we can't. Family, friends, good relationships, things that we have. Money, time even. Because all of it is loss in comparison to knowing the Lord. But I also know right i 'm not a parent um, uh, and there 's a lot of there 's a lot of stay at home dads a lot of stay at home moms here um, at harvest and and not for a second do I want to think that that must be easy for you to try to find time with God as you 've got I, I have a friend uh, um, who she locks herself in her bathroom to get away from her kids, <laughs> and she pretends she's going to the bathroom to, like, be with the Lord for a little bit, and she's like, no, Mommy's finishing up. Like, you wait, right? Um, and, and I don't even, uh, I, I, I imagine that trying to find that space as, you, as you're dealing with little ones, even old ones, like, I kept my parents busy when I was in high school, um, right? Like, it's not easy, but as I was thinking about, like, so, so how do, like, what do we do as a church in that? Like for people that that long for this time with God but but are having a hard time like just because of life circumstances making it work, it's like man, like we should be ready to like babysit or to just just to stop in for an hour so that they can get away to their backyard or so that they could come up here or whatever. Like we should talk to our community groups. If you're here and that's a struggle for you, be real with someone, say, Hey, I need help. Like would you be willing to watch my kids for me? Um, for, for an hour this week, for two hours this week, so I can be with God and, and, and even stay-at-home moms or dads could like switch for each other. Okay, now it's your hour, go. I, I don't know, like, and maybe you're like, we've tried this and it doesn't work. Well, I don't have kids, so I don't know. But as I was thinking about the church in Acts and how they shared everything together and they gave to whoever had need, I was like, man, if we have needs as a church in this place, we gotta make those needs known. We should be ready to meet those needs for one another as well. Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2 and then 10 say this, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then in verse 10, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Gosh, I want to believe that. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better than a week at Disneyland, all expenses paid. Better than front row seats to the Blazers in the championship. Probably not this year, but in 90 years or something like that. But better is one day than your favorite, your favorite place, your favorite country to visit, your, your favorite place to go eat. Better is one day in the presence of God than anywhere else. That our, our soul yearns, even faints, to be with the living God. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, we have this curriculum called "Come and See" for our middle school Sunday school um, that they're actually working through right now with Paul Andrzejewski, And uh, I was I was passing it off to someone else to um, to lead a week, and I was just reading him one of the excerpts from it, and and it said this, and I think we have it up on the screen. It was it was on a um, the topic I think was listening to God or something. It says, we so often approach our time with the Lord as something we fit into our day if time allows. Instead, we should think about giving Christ the best part of our day. Build your day around your time with Jesus. Have it be the one appointment you don't miss or change. This is the food that will sustain you each day. And as I was reading it to that person, I was like, hey, yeah, you should teach this to kids. I'm like, oh, crap. I uh, uh, oh, shoot. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, like, just hit, like with a dagger in the heart of like, "Oh God, would you would you forgive me?" Because I don't live into that all the time. I, I don't. I'd love to say, as, as a youth pastor, that I do this perfectly. I do not. And I need God to transform me. I need his presence to transform me, so I live this. So then in verses 33 through 35 in this passage, Moses comes down the mountain, and one of the first things he does after being with God is he shares what God said with with other people. He shares with his people after they, 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 they were freaked out, and he calls them back to him and says, No, it's okay. It's me. He shares what God shared with him. With others. He then puts a veil over his face because the glory was too much for the people, but whenever he would go back into the tent of the meeting, he would strip off that veil and get to be completely present, unrestrained, unrestricted, unveiled with the Lord. What a beautiful picture of what our time with God should be like. Nothing having to to put something that's more shiny over the top of us, right, to to impress God, but coming to God as we are, our hearts out before him, unveiled. In God's presence, there was no need to hold back. He then, after he'd go into the tent of meeting and be with God, he would then go back out and share again with the people. And and it's funny how the passage reads, because it's almost like he'd share with them, and like, wait, Double check, is his face shining? Okay, this is definitely from the Lord. Listen in again, right? Like they're double checking to make sure this is from God and Moses isn't just leading them on in some sort of way. There is true transformation to know this man has been with God. We need to listen to him. And this is actually a direct picture Um, here in Exodus, of the Mosaic Covenant and what it brought. So covenants, right? Like we talked about a little bit earlier, this relational commitment between God and people. And this was the covenant under Moses, the way for God's presence to be with his people. And that was through his people keeping the law that we've been going through in Exodus. But as we know, no one could keep the law. Everyone fell short. If you broke one part of the law, you were condemned by all of it. And while the, the law of the Lord was still glorious, it still revealed the glory of God. But it ultimately meant that in, in, in the midst of God's glory, like sinful man was condemned. It was not a lasting glory. And Paul actually speaks on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me. It's also on the screen as well. And if you don't have a Bible and you ever need one, um, we've got a bunch in the back that we would love to give you. Just grab one of the staff or elders and we'd love to, to get you a Bible so that you can have one for yourself. But starting in verse 7 of chapter 3 in Second Corinthians, um, and we'll just go 7 to 9 at first, this is what Paul says, Now if the ministry that brought death, the law, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? The law could not produce life. The law could not bring people to life. It revealed condemnation, yet it still revealed God's glory. And it makes this direct comparison that that Moses, while this this glory on his face, Paul alludes, would fade over time, he still had to veil it from the people. There was still glory behind it, but it was a veiled glory. It wasn't this, this everlasting glory that was going to go on forevermore. He connects it that God has given us this new ministry through his Holy Spirit. But how did we get this ministry, you may ask? Well, Paul keeps going on in verse 10. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. We have gained a new covenant, a new commitment of relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Christ, sinless Savior, takes on condemnation himself, takes on death, takes on the weight and wrath of sin for all people for all time so that whoever may believe in him may have everlasting life. And with that comes the ministry of the Holy Spirit as well. Mark records it in this in jesus 's death, chapter fifteen verse thirty seven and as Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom we 're going to actually talk a little bit more about this next week as we look at the the tabernacle for the Israelite people that get set up for God, but as time went on, that, that grew into this temple for the Lord. And there was this place in the temple that was known as the holy of holiness, holy of holies where God's presence would would abide and would dwell, and only the high priest after going through all these rituals and going through all this cleansing would get to go into the holy of holies one time a year to be in the presence of God. And there was this huge thick veil, this huge thick curtain that separated people from the holiness and presence of god but as jesus breathed his last from top to bottom as god as if god was ripping the the curtain himself that separation between the holy of holies and with people was ripped so that anyone professes that jesus christ is lord anyone that might follow after him and know him as their savior might not just know God's presence and be in God's presence, but the Holy Spirit, God's own personal presence, would dwell in us as well. That whole same holy presence, right? Holy Spirit, not semi-Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit would dwell in us. What that, what that, like imagine this as that, even though it went way higher and was way thicker, that gets ripped. The same, the same veil that kept that holiness out because people are afraid that they would die if they were near it, that same holiness now dwells within God's people. We are the tabernacle. We are the tent. We are the temple. And then verses 15 through 18 end with this in 2 Corinthians. Even to this day when Moses read, a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. On our own, we can never attain righteousness or right standing with God. But Jesus, who is our righteousness, made a way so that God's presence could dwell within us. Christ has gained us access to the Father in the most glorious way. So I never thought that I'd be here. Um, standing up in front of a church, speaking, right? Eight years ago, I was a drunken partier in southeast Portland um, that was completely focused on myself. And then there was a day where God, I think there's a song, the day you tore my world apart. There, There was a very definitive day for me where God tore my world apart. I accepted this truth that Jesus is savior and that on my own I could I could gain no right standing. I had no hope. I had no life. I was under death. I was under the law like apart from Christ. I came to know him and there there was this transformation in me in that moment because I received the Holy Spirit. I remember that that very night that I accepted Christ, I went to one of my friends who didn't know Christ. And I just poured out stuff that I didn't even know to say. I remember looking back on that and I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, how did I even know to talk about you in those ways? Well, that's because already the Spirit was at work in me transforming me into Christ's likeness. And now from that moment to today, am I exactly the same person? No, there was a lot that God was still like smoothing, smoothing out, ironing out. There was a lot of areas in my life that God was still pouring into and revealing through his spirit that needed a lot of work to have this right standing with him, to magnify him, not just with, with how I think, but with how I live as well. I'm still going through that process, and I'm going to be continuing to go through that process, but it was the Lord who changed me. It's God who continues to change me, and being in his presence should be the place where I have the most comfort, should be the place where I know I'm the most loved, the most accepted. And I remember early on, it was like I could not get enough of being with God. I just could not get enough because of what he had done. And I long for that now too. I, I do have to, to work harder at it sometimes and, and that's all a map problem. That's not a God problem because as God continues to transform me, he's, he's going deeper, right? He's not just going wide, but he's going deep to my very core to make me more like Christ, to bring me, a drunken partier eight years ago, into the very likeness of Christ. Why me? Why us? So that his glory might be revealed all the more. And I just want to close with this. Um, sometimes, though, I think part of my problem is I still try to put up a veil between me and God. As God's doing his work, as God's transforming me, I'm like, yeah, I know you're glorious, Lord, and I know you want to change me, but, but uh, that's actually too much for Matt right now. Like I don't really know if I want to live that drastically different. I don't know if I want to believe that truth because it's too much to take. And I try to like put this veil between me and the Lord. Jesus tore to that veil. There should be no separation. So why would I ever try to make distance with me and God again? And I want to be humble before the Lord saying, God, speak. Speak life into where life is does not exist. Change me. So as I come down off this mountain, others would get to see the gloriousness that you've revealed in me too. That this isn't just for me. This is for us to be a light to the world. I actually, through this week, just realized I hate the song, This Little Light of Mine, right? The light that we've been given through Christ is anything but little. The hope that we've been given through Christ is anything but a little candle wick that can get